State Senator Jill Shoup. Hi, I'm State Representative Deb Lavender. State Representative Tracy McCreary. And while the House is out of session, the Senate's still in session, so I'll be running out of here and going back down to the floor. So it's the three of us today, and as we always like to do, we're going to start with a budget update from Deb Lavender. Budget update, we are doing appropriations this week. So we finished hearing all of the directors last week. This week we divided back into our appropriations committee, of which there are seven and we get to move money inside of the bills that we have. So being on House Bill 10 and 11 is health, mental health, and social services. So we have the largest budget. Representative David Wood is our chair. I think he does a good job. His aim this year was to increase the provider rate for those who deal with developmentally disabled. So he was able to get more money onto that line to be able to increase that rate. I'm very pleased to tell you I was able to move $2 million more towards mental health coverage in Kansas City and St. Louis. A year ago, we cut half a million dollars for tuberous sclerosis. WashU is doing research. We cut them out of the budget last year. It is a disease that affects a lot of kids and has a very direct relationship to epilepsy. So I was able to restore some of that money, and you all know the task I've been working on for the last three years is to get more money for consumer-directed services. So with the money I found to move to that line, plus the federal matching dollars, right now we put $7.9 million back onto that line. Fantastic, so congratulations, and we hope that we can make sure those things stay when uh, it comes over to the Senate. Well, we're not finished yet. I'm hoping to get more. Okay, awesome. Well, yesterday I certainly saw a sea of red in the building. It was quite an amazing lobby day. There were more than 400 folks that are volunteers, citizen volunteers with Moms Demand Action. And what was really cool, besides the sea of all the red shirts that's kind of their unifying color, is for every year that they come here to lobby for sensible gun laws, I'm noticing that they have people from truly all corners of Missouri. So that was really powerful. I saw on a social media post today that they had carpooling from 16 different locations around the state, twice as many as they had last year. That's amazing. And that makes me feel kind of empowered on this issue, knowing that safe gun laws, dealing with domestic violence, those are not issues that just suburban women care about. Men, women, children, people of all ages care about it all around the country. So I was honored that one of the bills that I have filed, House Bill 960, was one of the bills that they were talking with legislators about yesterday. So I filed House Bill 960 in response to the 2016 passage of that constitutional carry bill that we passed here in Missouri. So just to remind folks how we got there, Senate Bill 656 was passed, Governor Nixon vetoed it, and then the legislature overrode the governor's veto. At the time that we did the override, there was an unintentional consequence consequence created that really impacts the ability of law enforcement to protect domestic violence victims and her family. So right now, because of this loophole, domestic violence abusers convicted can still hold on to their firearms. So it truly puts people at danger every day that we don't fix this and address this. So and unfortunately, they had promised us almost within days or weeks that, oh, we'll fix this next year and close the opportunity for mostly men accused of domestic 
domestic violence that get to keep their guns. Right. And so, oh, we'll fix that next year. And now this is the third year since that was passed. Right. And, you know, I appreciate your bringing that bill up, I think, every year. Yeah, every year since, so it's 2017, 18, and now 19. You know, the interesting thing is that this common sense solution is supported overwhelmingly. Some polling has been done on this. So I'm a gun owner. Even people that own guns do not believe that convicted domestic violence abusers should have access to weapons. So so anyway, I was really proud that my bill was being talked about yesterday, yeah. and I think that should help me get a hearing on that bill. They all conjugated in the upper gallery of the House over the small break that we had between morning and afternoon session, and we had the House photographer take pictures. They filled up the entire upper gallery. It was just fabulous to see them up there. And yeah, they have organized phenomenally. Becky Morgan started this chapter just after the shooting in Connecticut, right? Sandy Hook? After Sandy Hook? And Sandy Hook has been five years now? I don't know. There's so many shootings that I lose track of all of them. Mm -hmm. But the chapters here in Missouri have done phenomenal, and thank you for carrying that legislation again. Glad to do it. All right, this is Megan. Hello, heads up listener. (laughs) I am going to fill in for Senator Shoup as she does important things on the floor for the constituents. They're debating forced arbitration right now, proceedings for employers and employees. So anyway, she wanted me to fill everybody in on a hearing this week that took place in the Education Committee. The bill that caused a great deal of testimony was changes to the Title IX proceedings within universities and colleges within this state and in all states because it is a federal policy. Senate Bill 59 pretty much takes a code of conduct violation hearing and allows it to be heard at a administrative hearing, which is a statewide board that hears issues. Tell me what a code of conduct hearing is. So it's within the universities. When you go to a university, whether you're an employer, an employee, or a student, you abide by the code of conduct. And that code of conduct, similar to what other businesses have, says students shouldn't be sexually harassing and or assaulting other people at the university. So if somebody has sexually harassed you or perhaps has violated you in another way, there's a code of conduct hearing that happens? That's not exactly where the process goes. There's investigations that happen. Anybody who is a claimant, which is the person who's coming forward with the complaint, they speak to a Title IX office, and then they have to specifically ask for an investigation to happen. And then it's up to the Title IX investigator. Every school has one to investigate and then deem whether or not there needs to be a hearing. So that is a little bit more what the process looks like. But some things that currently exist within the process, every party involved so that both the claimant and the respondent get equal treatment. So whatever one party gets, the other party gets, whether that's reviewing the evidence or right to an attorney or so forth. There is an appeal ability. Usually that's made higher up within the chain at universities. Um, And one really important aspect of this is that confidentiality is maintained of all the students involved. However, this bill seeks to change not only the confidentiality aspect, but it allows for people to know who's being involved, the actual names of the parties, 
and what the evidence looks like, which could arguably leave more of a scar on somebody's record or be even more traumatic for people to go through. So because of but that... the victims, that it's more challenging for the victims or more, more challenging? More challenging for both parties. And you look at, well, which party might be able to finance better legal representation, treating this matter as if it is a criminal or civil proceeding and it's not. So there are a lot of these escalation matters, if you will, that we worry will cause a chilling effect. They'll reduce confidentiality. They will increase litigation costs to school, which those costs will then be put on the students. One of the biggest concerns that a lot of universities who testified said, you know, what do we do if this bill passes? Are we going to be in compliance with state law or are we going to be in compliance with federal law? Because we can't do both. Wow. And there are funding sources tied to Title IV, which is Pell Grant, <sighs> et cetera, as well as public university wow. funding through the state. So, yeah. And in the middle of all of this, there are changes to the Title IX process happening under Betsy DeVos. So we don't even know what those changes look like. And here we are trying to implement something that most likely will conflict with federal law. I know. I, <laughs> yeah, it's... I just feel like we're sort of in the midst of this Me Too movement. And I feel like this is just like a response and maybe an overcorrection to what's going on well, in the I country. Think, I think so too. And, and I'll take it back to Judge Kavanaugh. And we seem so concerned that a man is going to be incorrectly accused of something and it will ruin his life. And the statistic I heard was one out of 10 women accused falsely. Oh, it's lower than that. Probably. But let's even say it's one out of 10. That means 90% mm-hmm. is accurate. 90% of these women's lives have been altered dramatically. Mm-hmm. But we're worried about the guy. With lifelong trauma. Yes. Yep. No, I don't want anybody falsely accused. None of us do. No. But we just don't seem to put the emphasis on the woman like ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I might add just another statistic. Missouri State, who sent their Title IX coordinator, testified, and they gave some really astounding numbers of the Title IX cases or complaints that were going on in their office. And out of the 300 or so, only two resulted in expulsion. And, again, that's not something that right. follows people or determines their life future yes it's a big it's mm-hmm. a big impact but again we're escalating this as if every boy is falsely harmed and yes. the numbers do not support that mm-hmm. and I think I'm going to tie that back to what you kind of started with Senator Shoup needed to run back to the floor because you're talking about forced arbitration is that where if I go to work for I'm going to use IBM because it's the quickest corporation's name I can think of If I go to work for IBM, a lot of our corporations are putting arbitration processes in place. So now if I want to work there, they force me to sign an arbitration. Well, it's not even that they force you to sign it. Like when you go to HR to get started, you sign all kinds of things. So it is signed in, I think, often signed, not even really knowing what you're signing. And also, you always start a job thinking like, this is going to be my dream job. This place is going to be great to work. You never think like, oh my gosh, I could be sexually harassed at work and I'm going to need to know what my legal options are. Right. It's You're just crazy. Right. Right. Well, right. Force arbitration is that if you're sexually harassed at work or something happens, that whole case stays inside of the company right. to be decided that then may be subject to confidentiality in whatever settlement. So maybe you're harassed, 
maybe you're accosted and it's all done behind a closed door, a settlement behind a closed door, a confidentiality agreement, so you're no longer with the company, but neither is it public information that you were just accosted at your. Fortunately, in this version of the bill, they did no non-disclosure agreements for sexual harassment or discrimination can be signed. Good. Yes. All right. So it's better than it's been in the past. <laughs> but it's <still> really bad. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, you know. Even... But yeah, that's the valid concern that people are now taking into serious consideration. Yeah. Well, Representative McCreary, you've had a fabulous day yesterday. Yeah, I Can you tell us I, I got an amendment onto a bill dealing with the prison canteen fund, which is where inmates within the Missouri Department of Corrections can go and use their earnings to buy things that they might need. Hygiene items like toothpaste or soap. Yep, soap, or... things like that. Yeah. Currently in the Missouri prison system, women are provided with only sanitary pads and they're of inferior quality. So I consider this a healthcare issue for one. I think that women deserve quality feminine hygiene, both tampons and pads. And I think that it's a health thing. I also think it's a morale thing. And it's also a public safety thing, in my opinion. Think about our state workers that are working in these systems. They deserve to have a workplace that's as clean as possible. I was able to get an amendment on that said that free feminine hygiene products would be provided to women in Department of Corrections. So. And it was a bill on what's called canteen funds. Mm-hmm. And it is monies that are collected when people do buy products. And being able to utilize those funds in a slightly different way than we've been able to in the past in Missouri. So it was just some technical changes and adjustments on how money is spent. Mm -hmm. And so you offered the amendment and spoke very well, knew as always that you knew what you were doing. But what was intriguing as Democrats on the floor, the bill sponsor stood up and said, no, this isn't the right place to put this amendment. I don't think you should. And typically when that happens, Mm -hmm. we don't get our amendments on. Right. But I had talked to the bill sponsor ahead of time, so I didn't ambush him with this amendment. He knew it was coming, but he still didn't speak. He didn't speak in favor of it. He spoke in opposition to it, but I wouldn't say it was fiery opposition. And there had been some support from the Republican side that this was a good idea. Right. The cost involved is... It's under 175000 We say this often, $175,000 is not not a lot of money, but inside of our budget, inside of what we've got going on, it's not that much. And to be able to provide this service for the women that we have incarcerated... Well, interestingly, too, other states that have done this, so in the state of Oregon, they actually are spending less money on feminine hygiene now because if you give somebody a quality product that's the proper absorbency, they're not going to need to use... A whole vast quantity of things that don't work so it actually can save money in the long run so and potentially if it reduces the amount of infections right Um, Yeah, exactly. So the Missouri Appleseed Project did a survey within the Missouri Department of Corrections last fall and found that over 80% of when they menstruate, they use homemade tampons that they make themselves in prison. So you're absolutely right, Megan. They're not sanitary and it can lead to infection. So I also think we'll save money on healthcare costs as well. So that was a fun victory. Terrific it was. And it was a little unexpected. We try as a caucus when we have a member that has an amendment to holler the appropriate yes or no to support them. And we were all quite pleased when the speaker ruled in favor of your amendment. So congratulations. Thanks. It was a team effort, that's for sure.
Well, Senator Shoops, we're under the floor, so I think we'll wrap this up for today. Yeah. And, and Megan, thank you for joining Thanks us. Thanks for and, having me. And telling us what was happening I'm with so Title excited. IX. And, and what's done. Well, we love having you on the show, and I, I hope our listeners realize how important our staff are in this team. So if I wouldn't be able to be here for some reason, my legislative assistant, Emily Bridges, would be able to say and do everything that I just did. So we hold in our staff. Today, I've got oh, Emily yeah. Walker, who's an intern from Mizzou who's helping to record the podcast, and Hannah Hall is my chief of staff, uh, intern from Truman State full-time, and she's been giving us our time signals. Awesome. So, yeah, the staff is awesome. Takes a village. It does. Thanks, ladies. With great yeah. leaders, of yeah. course. We're all very fortunate to have role models, such as Representatives McCurry and Lavender. Oh, thank you. Thanks. All right, until next week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Heads Up Missouri. Be sure to subscribe to stay up to date on all the issues you need to know about. You can access all of our episodes on our website, headsupmissouri.com, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher. Let us know what you thought about today's episode by tweeting at headsupmo. Thanks again to bensound.com for providing the podcast music.